1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And we got a great guest with us today, Mr. Simon Manwaring. He is from We First Inc., but also the host of the We First podcast. He has written two books, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. But he also has a course that we're going to be talking about. And I'm telling you that now because I've got a feeling the more that we get into this discussion, the more you're going to want to know about this guy. And so we are ready to rock and roll. And we're going to talk about some really cool stuff today that has to do with sales and branding and how you position your company, your brand and your individual brand into the marketplace, but more importantly, into the world so people can see the positive that you're doing out there and make them want to do business with you, not because you've got the best product, not because you've got the best service, but because you're socially responsible and you're doing the right things to take things to the next level. So without any further ado, Simon, welcome to Power Producers, man. It's glad to We're glad to have you today.
2: Thank you, David. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for everyone listening
1: absolutely so before we get like going full mock speed here why don't you give everybody sort of your background ten thousand foot overview of who you are sort of a little bit of history because i got a feeling you've got a storied history (laughs) full of a bunch of experience and then sort of how you got to where you are today and then once we're done with that we're off to the races
2: fantastic thanks you know I'm Australian, as you can hear. And I I worked in the advertising game as a copywriter and a creative director and a worldwide creative director in Australia, London, and then the US. So, you know, I worked for years on brands like Adidas. And then I worked on Nike for five years at their ad agency, Wyden and Kennedy. And then I was worldwide creative director for Motorola and launched the Razer phone back in the day. I mean, I'm that old that they're bringing it back. These flip phones are coming back. So I'm, I'm that old. But then in 2007, 2008, with the big meltdown around the world, I thought, wow, there's a problem here. Business is creating a lot of problems when they should be creating the solutions. And so I thought, what if we took the power of storytelling that you see in all of these great brands like Nike and applied it to business as a force for good? And so I wrote my first book called We First that was all about how brands and consumers use social media to build a better world. That started the company, and for 13 years, we've been working with startups We've been working with purpose leaders like Toms and Timberland and so on, and also very large, complex global enterprises, all of whom who have sales challenges, and we help them define the strategy in terms of how to position themselves in the marketplace, how to kind of engage their employees around that strategy to build culture, and then to tell the story of their impact so it builds their business. And so, you know, that all led to the new book, which came out called Lead with We, uh, that came out at the end of last year. And it's really focused on what I've learned over the last 13 years about how you drive growth through impact because of the world that we live in. And so we're deeply, deeply committed to driving sales and bottom line growth by actually having a positive impact that benefits everyone.
1: That's awesome. So I got to tell you, man, you're this number one, you would probably be surprised. We actually have listenership quite a bit in Australia, which is weird for a US based. Insurance related <laughs> podcast, right? But we do. Yeah. I check the stats all the time, and for and out outside of the U.S., the U.K., Greece, and Australia, we get a ton of listeners from. So I love whatever. I mean, the, the, shout <laughs> out to
2: my, shout out to the Aussies. I, I miss every time I see an Australian here in L.A. where I live. I just want to hug them. Like they're like, okay, that's a bit weird. But sometimes it's like just hearing the accent. It's like, oh God, home. There we go. There
1: we go. <laughs> yeah. So I and then the the second piece to that is. And i'm sure kyle will concur with me one of my all-time favorite podcast guests that we've had was a guy it was a guy from australia Stuart leo and he's the ceo of a company called waymaker oh. so i realize australia is a big place i'm not going to be so ignorant as to assume the two of you know each other but i'm <laughs> we, expecting we got- equal results from you simon i'm just setting oh, no. the table
2: man this the guy- pressure the pressure david but i gotta say everywhere you go in the world there's one damn Aussie at every party. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. And never there's never allowed to be two. When there's two you go one of you's got to leave. But yeah, we're there's one of us everywhere, yeah.
1: Well, and I need to know who the guy is from, you know, who the Aussie is that is the YouTube multimillionaire from literally just narrating over top of nature documentaries and sports things. Oh, uh on YouTube. Oh my gosh, the guy's hilarious,
3: I, man. I follow a dude on Instagram. Called, it, it, his his handle is just called Ozzy man. Uh That's I him. Think, yeah, okay. That's him. He's got like a mullet. Yeah, I don't long hair. I don't
1: I've never really seen him. I just see like he goes into um sports highlights or he'll go into like a nature documentary and he's like, "Oh, crikey. Oh my god." You know, yeah. just
2: I got to say, the Aussie accent, especially a real thick Aussie accent, is is just entertaining in its own right. And I go back, I get into Sydney Airport, and people are like, oh, mate, what's what's up with the accent? Or, you know, you're sounding American. And, you know, they kind of want to knock me into shape. So, yeah, I totally hear you. And uh, good for him. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. So, listen, I'm at a point now, and I'm pretty vocal about this on the podcast, where I'm not really the old guard, but I'm also not the new generation coming into our industry. I'm the guy that's kind of stuck in between. I turned 50 this year. So I'm not quite ready to retire, but I also have 20 years under my belt. Right. One of the issues that we have in our industry that I perceive, there's there's quite a few, but one of them is the fact that the old guard doesn't want to listen to the new guard, right? And so I end up being almost like a translator to some of my peer group. But what I mean by that is we tend to become established in our ways as we get older. And we think that our way is the best because that's the way that it's always been done And a lot of the times, you know, people that are my age or a little bit older automatically have a predisposed bias against the younger generation because they think they grew up playing video games, watching TikTok reels, and, you know, just the same thing over and over again. When in reality, I have truly been both amazed and impressed with listening to how some of these, I'm going to call them kids, even though they're young adults, but how some of these New generation people actually think and what they place value on versus what my generation or the generation before places value on. And what I mean by that is it's not like they're just wasting money on stupid things. It's not like, you know, they're frivolous in what they're doing. It's where they place value. And so I'm very interested in hearing from you kind of what led you to go down this path with We First because. Social engagement, both digital and in person, community-based involvement in the marketing around those things, are extremely powerful. And they're also things that are very much important to that new generation that's coming in behind me to backfill. So I think you're on to something with where you're at. I'm just interested. You and I are at least the same age. Mm-hmm. I may have you by a couple of years, but, I'm interested in knowing what what was the trigger for you? Where did you what did you see that you you just thought, "You know what? We need to go down this path because this is an important message, not just because it'll help grow revenue and bottom lines. It's an important message because it's socially responsible and it makes people feel good doing business with you and also doing the things these companies are doing."
2: Yeah, I think it, it it's a great point about the younger demographic. I mean, imagine you know, we're in our 50s and we grew up in a world where you thought, hey, the, the planet has infinite resources. Growth can go up and to the right endlessly without really thinking of the consequences. And what we discovered as we in the middle of our careers was, hey, wait a second, that's not the case. You know, the planet can only cope with so much. And a lot of the things that we've been doing for decades finally came to that critical mass point. And then we started to see carbon in the air, chemicals in the soil, plastics in the ocean, you know, extreme weather, all of these things. And you're like, wait a second, something's up. The younger demographics, you know, millennials, Gen Z and so on, they've literally grown up hearing from day one that their future is being compromised by all of these issues. So they didn't have that luxury of that moment where for decades we thought that was just going to keep going exponentially with no problems. And so they look at the world very differently and their their values determine what they value. And so they look at every opportunity in their life as a way to make it as a lever for change. What what car do I drive? What's my diet? Where do I put my money? What stocks do I invest in? What company do I work for? All of these things say a lot about who they are and what they value. And what happened with me was, with the global economic meltdown in 2008, I thought, this isn't right. Just from an Australian point of view, I thought, this isn't fair. Why are a few people doing disproportionately well? And everyone was losing their homes and their their mortgages and and, healthcare and all their hopes. And I just thought, look, there's got to be a better way of doing capitalism. Now, at that time, when I started We First, there wasn't a lot of people who were thinking that way. There was still the profit motive was front, front, and top, front of mind. And since then, we've seen as these problems got worse and the awareness grew that business is showing up differently. Employees now want to work for companies that reflect their values. Customers, there's a growing number of conscious consumers, especially these younger folks you're talking about, who are very choiceful about what they buy. But more importantly, even the investor class is now saying it's not just about making money for money's sake. It's also about being sustainable and creating this sort of regenerative future. So it's not only young people coming through, it's market forces are rewarding companies that are changing because of the reality of the world we live in. And just look at your phone every day. We pick up our phones and it's like a horror story of headlines about extreme weather or this happening or that happening. And every day we're like, worried about our future, whether a brother, sister, mother, father, whoever we might be. And so as you think about your brand, your company, how you position yourself, what your sales teams say, it's not that we're sort of woke up and grew a conscience. It's just the reality of the world that we live in requires that brands have a positive impact. And you've got to tell that story. And that's what people are responding to.
1: So Kyle, I'm going to put you on the spot based on what he just said. What's the first brand that comes to your mind that's doing that right now? Because um, I know what it is for me and I'll spit it out if you need me to bail you out. But I, I figure you've got a good brand.
3: I don't know that I need you to bail me out. You did mention one of the ones that does come to my mind and that was Tom's because I mean, all the sustainable stuff and there's so many and and you bring up a good point that everybody is kind of transitioning that way. And I'm trying to think of, of, uh, I was actually trying to think of ones that are doing the opposite or that have like a negative stigma to them. And so (laughs) it's funny that you asked me (laughs) the opposite question than what I was thinking of. Well, yeah, I think, so
1: if yeah. if I were to tell you who comes to mind for me immediately, the first one that I think of is Bombas, right? Mm-hmm. Bombas is doing things that are socially responsible. You buy a pair of socks, they donate a pair of socks. There's a lot of companies that are doing things along those lines right now. The other thing that I see, you know, and, and it's interesting because where I think I've picked up on this trend more than anywhere else is on Shark Tank. When right. you watch Shark Tank, look at how many people are coming in these days and giving a pitch It's not just about how much they can grow their company, but how much change are they making in the world, whether it's through using recycled products to formulate their product or creating their manufacturing or assembly operations over in an area of Africa that wouldn't otherwise have jobs. You see this all the time. I think that the US has issues because so many times we operate in a silo. And I know some of y'all are going to be throwing tomatoes at me. That's fine. Bring them out. I don't care. It's the truth. We focus on ourselves first, then we focus on everybody else. I'm not saying that's good, bad, or otherwise, but the world is a big place and it's got to be dealt with as if it's a big place, not just what's happening in our own backyard.
2: No, I I agree, David. And I want to kind of speak to those who kind of can get defensive around this issue. The reality is is that whether we're conscious of it or not, everything we buy has a supply chain that reaches all around the world. Maybe it's local, but a lot of the times it comes from overseas as well. And it's healthy to be self-interested. It's healthy to want to make money and as much money as you can. But the, the, the challenge we all face right now is that the way business is being done in a lot of cases is costing us things that are far more valuable than money, which is the environment, which is our future, which is our communities. And the reality is this, business can't thrive in societies that fail. And so if we've got to that point after decades of neglecting these issues and we're going, wait a second, the the oceans are really suffering, the climate is really suffering and so on. It's just smart business to say, hey, we've got to stop making these bigger issues worse that are affecting us so that we as businesses can thrive within it. And that applies to all of us here in the U.S. It applies all around the world. And so it's not either or, it's both. Let's make sure that the whole can thrive, like the planet and the natural systems in which we live, so that business can thrive within it. And what's really interesting is there's an opportunity right now to drive your business growth by doing good.
1: So I think there's a lot to be learned from the big brands from a marketing standpoint, right? I mean, certainly... They have far more budget than the local independent insurance agency or even the region, regional insurance brokerage houses for that matter. Um, you know, even the people that we represent many times, like progressive, for example, I mean how many Liberty Mutual, how many people can immediately think of the things that are going on with these companies from an advertising standpoint? you know but i think one of the problems that a lot of these brands have whether it be the insurance carriers themselves or some of the service providers the software as a service companies that provide product or tools for us to use in our agencies there's a certain lack of humanization to their brands in my opinion it's not something that's very relatable right and so, when you think about the insurance company, the first thing that most people are going to come up with, and, and I'm talking about the average person on the street, not somebody in the industry. I don't know. The people in the industry probably think the same thing, but it's, hey, there's Mr. Big Insurance Company. They have all the money and all they want to do is take more money from me and screw me over in the event that there's a claim. Right. Sure. And so, they have a lot of work to do to humanize their brand. But I think that one way they could do that is to follow the thought process that you're laying out and and what you're sort of driving i think that the issue is going to be how do you do what you do or how would you how do you do what you would recommend that a, a an international company do to implement to go down this road but Make it appear sincere so that people don't think that they're just doing it to get them to buy from them because that's that's the the flavor of
2: the day. Yeah, yeah. Greenwashing or cause washing. And I want to say that what I'm going to share is based on the reality of doing work with technology companies like SAP or insurance companies like Lincoln Financial. So it's based in real-world practice. And if and it is all about the how. You know, we had this podcast called Lead with We. Um, that really interviews all of these different companies all the time and to ask them to explain how they get it done. It's all in the how because you don't want it to appear like greenwashing or cause washing um, because that's going to backfire on you. So let's speak to how you get it done. Firstly, you have to ask yourself, have you defined a purpose for your company? And has that been sort of shared throughout the entire organization, upstream and downstream, so that everyone that touches your business really understands why you exist as a company. So if you're in the insurance business, what's so powerful is the very nature of insurance is all about risk and how you navigate life and how you secure yourself for the future. So that is a very powerful platform for you to then talk about what do you care about? If you're selling insurance, what do you care about? Whether you're selling B2B or B2C, what do you care about? And you have a relational dynamic in that dialogue rather than a transactional one. Because I agree with you, David, a lot of the time insurance comes across as a commodity business. All the policies are the same, or they're all so confusing. No one knows who to choose. But if you as a salesperson in the insurance industry go out there and say, listen, before we talk about our policies and how we might work together, I'd love to hear from you what you care about what's important in your life. And you hear that when you have that insurance conversation with brokers and so on, what's important to you. And then I'd love to share a little bit about what's important to us as a company at our our insurance company. And what you do then is you build that alignment between what's important to you. And when you find that bridge that's on a more emotional level and on a human level, then you can say, okay, with that in mind, Here's what, here are the products we'd like to suggest to you. Here are the policies that might be the right fit. And increasingly you're seeing a lot of policies out there that reflect the values, whether it's ESG investments and different things like that, you know, sustainability focused funds and, and, and different ways of investing your money or, or preparing for your future. And so my first point would be make sure that you establish some sort of relational dynamic by getting very clear about what both parties talk about. And then position your products in terms of those values. And then make sure that when you check in and do those sort of um, re-up of policy kind of engagements and, and meetings that you have, see it as an opportunity to say, wait a second, how has your life changed? What are your priorities now? What are you concerned about? What role do you want to play in the world? Because this is what we care about. Remind them, this is what we care about. And here are the products that can help you achieve that. So. This is a very, very effective sales tool, but to your point, it has to be done authentically. It can't just be optics or greenwashing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing is too, producers, those of you out there that are in sales, if you're calling on companies, you should be doing your research long before you ever go out to meet with them, right? You shouldn't be walking in and getting blindsided about how a company is being socially responsible or those things that are important to them. In most cases... I don't know of very many of the large companies. I think it probably falls off when you get outside much outside the Fortune 500 or maybe that next tier down, but many of these companies have these social responsibility statements and pledges yeah. and they outline what they're their doing on their yeah, website it, yeah. 100%. And so, you know, I think about people that I know are doing things like this in the insurance industry and one of my best friends in the industry, Chris Paradiso, by far is it, he's he is the Mount Rushmore of this one single head because of all of the community-based marketing that he does, all of the stuff that he does for first responders and nonprofits, things that his agency's doing just in you know, reverse trick or treating to cancer patients and right, all of right, these right. other things, yeah. you know, just way outside the scope of insurance. And he's yeah. not going in and trying to sell these people anything, he's giving kids bikes for free. If they read a certain number of books you know it's just it's crazy to think here's somebody who does that another really really good one and kyle i don't think you've had a chance to meet him yet but another friend of mine is is jc wagaman in indianapolis and he takes a percentage of every single dollar that's coming into his agency and he donates it to a charitable cause in his local community and he documents it with one of those massive Happy Gilmore checks that has all of his agency <laughs> branding on it. Right, but he goes right. up, he takes a picture with the group he's giving it to and them. And it's it's not cringy at all. It's very right. sincere. It's well done. And I know that he's getting business from it. And I also know that that's not his intent. I think there are so many things that we can do that are the exact opposite of being a hard-charging, heavy-closing salesperson that if we just step back and make some moves in a little bit different direction, it allows you to soften up the rest of your game and you end up writing more business because you're perceived as being somebody that's relatable to a whole lot more people.
2: I completely agree. And I want to you know speak to anyone who thinks, wow, this is do-good stuff. What's that got to do with business? We've got to kind of sell some product, this is all about sales. This is all about building that trust and relationship capital that will close the deal in the first place and keep them coming back to you. And to your point about, you know, you go and sell insurance to a, to a company, you know, the work we do at WeFirst, my consultancy, is really about positioning brands to, to grow in the marketplace by doing good. And so we've been a pitch doctor for the last dozen years for small and large brands who are trying to kind of get marketplace traction. And here's the biggest mistake we see. Companies go in, in their pitch decks, in the way they approach their materials and, and their dialogue with prospective customers and talk about themselves. They say, we are insurance company X. Here are the products we have. Here are the benefits. Here are the prices. How do you want to participate? Instead of to your point, David, going, well, let me do some homework on this company and let's see what they stand for. And let's look at how they're showing up in the world. And then look, let's look at any press and seeing, you know, where some strengths are, where some gaps might be, or maybe they're trying to reach different demographics or expand into different markets or regions. And then do the opposite when you go in to meet them. You go, hi, it's fantastic to have some time with you. And listen, I'd love to understand more about the company because from our research, we've found there's This is important to you. This is what you're doing. Here are some gaps, blah, blah. And really establish that you're invested in their best interests. And then when they respond to that, you start having a dialogue about their business. You start to reverse engineer your offerings, your products based on a values alignment with them where you care about the same things. You understand their pain points. Here are the products that can solve for that. And the net result of that is, At the end of the conversation, they go, oh, my God, I'm so glad we met you because you're you're a solution to an existing problem we have, and that's what you've been talking about the whole time, as opposed to, oh, we met you, and now you're trying to sell me something, and it's all about you, and I don't have the time or money to do it, and I don't really know if I trust you or want to do business with you. So it's really about sales. And it's really about doing homework on the, on the companies or the, the customers you're talking to and really understanding where their pain points are and reverse engineering out of that. You'll get a completely different result. You'll book a lot more business and they'll stay with you a lot longer because they like who you are and how you're showing up in the world.
1: Here's the thing, man. I'm going to say two things here. Number one, We don't know how to listen, people. Most everybody out there, unless you practice, unless you read and and learn things you can do to be better, we don't know how to listen. Too many people out there go into a sales appointment and they listen to respond. They don't listen to understand. And there's a big difference between the two. And here's the other thing. I Again, Simon, I told you before we ever started recording, you and I are pretty much completely in alignment just based Mm -hmm. off of the brief conversation we had. But I know there are producers out there who thinks this isn't important. I know there are producers out here who thinks this message doesn't apply to them. If you want to get hit between the eyes and see just exactly how bad you really are in a sales call, have somebody ride with you the next time you go out to a prospect to meet with them the first time. And every time you say I in that meeting, have them put a hash mark on a legal pad. And at the end of the meeting, come out and see how many ticks are on there where you were selfish in your statement because you inserted I. One of the things that I teach and one of the things that I got from Never Split the Difference, one of the best books I've ever read by Chris Voss, talks about that. When you go in to label somebody to show them that tactical empathy that he teaches, it's not I hear, I see, I feel. It's none of that because the second you put I into any conversation, it becomes selfish and turns the conversation to being about you. Instead, it seems like, it feels like, it sounds like. All of those things show that you're listening, that you're understanding, but that person that you're talking with is not going to think that it's it's selfish subconsciously because you're not constantly saying, I, 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 I. I mean, and it's crazy. The reason I challenge people to do that, it's not because I want to cast stones at you. It's because that is an exercise that I was taught very, very early in my sales career and I'm going to tell you, I filled up an entire legal pad page. Once I saw how bad I really was, I became more conscious in everything that I say. Now, I understand I'm saying a lot in the podcast, but this is also my my, my podcast, and I'm not trying to sell you anything. So at the end of the day, I'm going to say I here, because I also know I have a bunch of smart asses that listen to this, and they're going to come back and say, you said I 437 times in your podcast. Okay, fine. Whatever. But in the sales, it's a completely different context, right? And so when you're in those sales meetings, you've got to remember that. And 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 those of you that are shaking your head and thinking, oh yeah, this still doesn't apply to me. You're the first one that's going to stumble over your words the second time you say I in your next sales call, because I'm going to be living in your head (laughs) until you get better.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I I couldn't agree more. And I spent a lot of time trying to think about how to help us all solve for this problem because we're all guilty of it. We all are. And the book that I just came out with called Lead With We was designed to equip us with the language that will allow you to communicate the right way and to um, build your business by doing good. And it really is about leading as in your point of departure, how you communicate, what you think about leading with as many stakeholders as possible in mind with we, which is, what can we do together? How can we, how can we collaborate in ways that are going to benefit everyone? So your point is well taken, David, which is, if you go into a meeting and you say, how can we authentically partner to solve your problem so that you and all of us benefit, the language you use changes. And the book lays out, you know, the specifics of all these different examples and case studies about how to go about doing that. And I think the reason it's so tough is this. Everything else in your business, when you look at your balance sheet, your P and L, your products, your services makes it all about the I. But then when you've got to be in the sales capacity and you're going to produce some new book of business, you've got to be talking in terms of we and how we can collaborate to benefit you and everybody else. So. That distinction between all the other signals you get, which are all self-directed, and then the sales process, which needs to be on the other person, being able to switch backwards and forwards is a real gift. And it would just unlock so much business for you.
3: This is good stuff. A very great conversation so far. What I think about is I think that when salespeople are first kind of learning what they're doing, they get in this habit of trying to just divulge all the stuff that they're going to be able to fix and do. And it gets you in a bad place. Never Split the Difference is one of the best books that I've I've read. It. I actually need to read that again. It's sitting on yeah. my nightstand. I, I think I read it last year, but awesome stuff in there. So my question though is like, did you have an aha moment where you're like, okay, this is the way things are going? You know, obviously like my generation, you talked about it earlier. We've started to change the way things are are framed and what we're looking for in companies. Was there something specific that happened in the past? Yeah. Or like was it just a gradual thing that you started seeing over time?
2: No, there was something that happened. I'd love to think that I came to this with strategy and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was an absolute clueless, self-important ad guy flogging stuff to everybody, you know, a- as you do. And it was, you know, completely unexpected. So You know, having had what was arguably, in inverted commas, a successful career in Australia, London, and then working on brands like Nike and writing campaigns for the famous athletes and Olympics and World Cup and things like that, and then running a global piece of business like Motorola, you kind of think you've got your your act together. You know what you're doing. But even after doing all of that, I was feeling a bit unchallenged with my work life, and I was a little bit kind of restless. But what really triggered the shift was I walked into my kitchen one day in Los Angeles, And there were five messages on the answering machine. The first was from my mom calling from Sydney, yelling down the phone because she was trying to wake me up in my bedroom, which was some distance from the kitchen. First message, Simon, pick up the phone. Simon, wake up, pick up the phone. Second message, Simon, pick up the phone, wake up. Simon, wake up. Third message, my sister, very upset, yelling down the phone, trying to call to me in my bedroom. Fourth message, my mom, very upset. Last message, Simon, dad died. He was calling to say goodbye. Call us when you wake up. And I hadn't seen mm. him for, f- for five years because mm. I was r- running around being a fancy pants ad guy. And those words, wake up, took on a meaning for me that I didn't even expect. It was like, wake up. What the hell are you doing, man? Like, you know, you know I wasn't being particularly fulfilled with work anymore because I was freelancing out there in the ad business. And then I got personally destabilized because dad had passed. He'd been sick for a long time. And I didn't get to say goodbye. And that kind of, you know, stays with you. And I kind of was, I got to be honest, guys, for the first time in my bloody life, I got out of my own way, got out of my head, stopped trying to control everything, stopped trying to write lists, and just sat in this state of, I have no idea what's going on anymore. Professionally, I'm not challenged. Personally, I've just been rocked. I'm a mess. And about three weeks after that, I read a speech that Bill Gates gave at the World Economic Forum that year because a global meltdown was happening that said, hey, business is creating half of this problem. Business has got to show up differently. And that kind of landed with me. And I was thinking about it because when you create movements like you do when you write a Nike campaign or you you do something for the Olympics, you can see that you can create these big behavior changes and, and sell something that transforms the marketplace. And I thought to myself, well, what if we took the power of this storytelling And applied it to business that's doing good because you saw the mess that was going on around the world. So the catalyst for all of this was that personal kind of professional and personal moment that came together and knocked me on the side of the head hard enough to knock some goddamn sense. And to be quite honest, and now that's you know that's when I wrote the first book. And then after doing this for a dozen years, I thought, how do I scale? How do I get this message out to others that? This really works because we've done it for so many startups. We've done it for insurance firms. We've done it for household brands that you all know. And so I wrote the the new book, Lead with We, and it's all about a very, very simple formula that every single one of us can apply to every aspect of what we're doing in the insurance business is when you're making, if you're a CEO of a company, if you're a salesperson, how do you choose to lead? How do you do it with as many stakeholders as possible? And how do you do it in a way that's going to benefit the greatest number of people? And the reason that builds your business is because the pressure on every company right now from their employees, where do I want to work? From their customers, do I want to buy from you? From investors, do I want to invest in this company? Are they part of the problem or part of the solution? Means that when you lead with we, you can actually show up in a way that's going to make you resonate with the person on the other side of the table. Because when they look at their phones every day, they're freaked out about homelessness or, you know, access to education or pollution in the air or the climate crisis or whatever it is. And if you really show up as a company with a good product, a good service and the same values, they're going to want to work with you.
3: So this is going to be an obvious statement to some, but I think that just the way things have changed with media coverage, social media, like the 24-hour news cycle, people just see this stuff and have it in front of them all the time so that they yeah. like they're more aware of all of these things that you're talking about that companies are doing or not doing. Yeah. But much more so than when I was a kid, you know, um, growing up, like it it was there, but it wasn't, it's, it's not as prevalent now and and, and not just as in your face all the time. So I think that's got a big, a a big part to do with it.
2: Yeah, it it does. I mean, I remember growing up in the eighties and nineties, it was like, buy whatever you want, try and get as much as you can. Damn the consequences. Don't think about it and you know the winner takes all and i think you know that was then and then there's now and the world we live in is different and if you are still thinking the same way as you did in the 2000s or 2010s then you're just out of touch because the people you're talking to to build your business who are going to work for your company that are going to drive your sales are people who are aware of the challenges we face and so you need to kind of get very clear-eyed about the reality of the world that you're living in. And if you kind of dig your heels in like David was saying and saying, listen, don't tell me about sales. This is the way it's always been done. And I know how to sell and I'm the top salesman and, and I got this dialed in. You're coming from a very self-directed place. You've got a mindset that isn't as in touch as it should be to where the world is going. And what you're, how you're hurting yourself is this. You are failing to tap in to the full toolbox of market forces that are out there. And that toolbox includes, yes, you've got to have a great product or service through the lens of insurance, but you also need to build relationship with your customers, whether it's a company or an individual, on the strength of what you both care about. And the more you lead with that, the more you can build that trust and the more you're given opportunity to talk about your products and services. Because I tell you, I've got insurance, we've all got insurance. At the end of the day, I go, do I want to work with these people? Do I like these people? Now that I have to re-up my insurance, am I going to stay with these people? And if you don't tell me who you are and what you care about and how that aligns with what I care about, I might as well go somewhere else because they've got the same product for five bucks less, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here's the thing, people, everybody hearing this, I don't want you to be confused and think this is something that you need to insert into your sales process this is not a sales process topic that we're talking about even though your sales process will benefit from it this is something that needs to be ingrained in the culture of your operation you know and again if you're looking at this thinking well i can i can do this this and this to highlight what we're doing so more people will buy from me you're only halfway there you're still thinking from a very selfish lens this is something that needs to start at the top of any organization, and it needs to be adopted by everybody on the org chart from the top all the way to the bottom so that the messaging is consistent across the board. I talk a lot about the times when I ran grocery stores, and you know I learned a ton from that. I think it helps me a lot today, even though there's no real direct you know, correlation between the two. But one of the greatest compliments that I ever got running a store was when the guy that ran the entire division of 300 and some stores came into mine unannounced and walked up to the bag boy at the end of register 10 and said, I just have a quick question for you. What's the sales goal for your for your store this week? And my bag boy knew it because we talked about it because it was cultural, right? Same thing held true with all of the things we did in the community. My team always knew where we were investing time, money, donating food and things. And I made sure that that message was 100% consistent across the entire operation. It was actually easier for me to do that in that situation than what I've been doing with literally you know, less than 20 employees, right? I haven't made it a priority. I needed to hear this today because there are things that when we started Florida Risk Partners six years ago, they were in place right along this thinking, not in an in-your-face way, not in a self-serving way, but we wanted to bring awareness to different causes every single week. And it takes work to do that, man. You can't just say, hey, all of a sudden, here's what we're going to do and then expect everybody to do it. It has to be, it has to start at the top. It has to be implemented at the top. The top has to be consistent in in adopting and performing to their own expectations first. And then, when your organization sees that you're doing that, they're going to realize some of them are going to jump on right out of the box because this yeah. is equally as important to them. But yeah. you're going to have those other people that are like, "Eh, we'll see how sure. long he sticks with it. We'll see. We'll see how long he goes before he gives up. And then we won't even start because this is probably only going to last at the most, you know. 60 days, right? right? You've got to push through that. If this is something that's truly important to you, not just because you could increase sales, not just because you can increase profitability, but because it's part of your core values and your belief structure, fight through it and stick to it. Even if you get pushback in your organization, show them by example. Don't just demand they do it and not adopt yourself.
2: I could not agree more, David. Thank you for saying that because you know, it's not just something you plug in like, oh, this is the latest trick to play in terms of sales. If you don't do it with integrity, it's going to backfire on you. So the work that we do at We First with companies large and small is that you define your purpose, like why your insurance company exists, because otherwise you're going to get lost in the noise of all the other insurance companies out there. Why does your company exist? And to do that, you answer questions like, what are you the only of? When when you're at your best, what are you doing? What is your enemy within the industry? Like what do you exist to solve for? It might be inefficiency, it might be whatever. Then you look at pulling that through the culture. So we do a lot of training and tools to make sure everyone all the way through to the sales teams understand how to speak to that. So it really animates their daily role. They're like, I like working here. I like what we stand for. And I can speak with confidence to that to drive our business. And then we do this sort of impact storytelling. So when a company does have a positive impact out there, how do you share that story, um, whether it's through client stories or whatever, in ways that actually add value to the business? And this sort of stuff is only going to get more important because people want to buy from, invest in, and work for companies that are doing good. So you know, there's a bit of discovery involved. You do the purpose definition. You then pull that through the culture, through training and tools. And then you equip the sales teams to go out there and, and, and share the story of your impact.
1: Yeah. And I do I, I don't think that it's it's a faux pas to discuss this in the sales process, right? I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with if I'm walking through the buyer's journey and I get to whether it be a slide or it's something in a presentation and say, Hey, you know, one of the things that's really important for us is to have partners who also value giving back, right? And here are some of the things we've been able to accomplish over the course of the last several years by taking a percentage of whatever revenues derived and making sure we allocate that not just to what's important to us, but the causes that are also important to our community at large and the clients that are on board. I mean, salespeople, there's nothing more powerful than finding out those causes that are important to your clients and then doing something with them around that. I've done everything from wash cars on a Saturday to work golf tournaments, to raise money for cancer, not because I was getting paid, but because that's something my client was doing. And I wanted to show them that I supported them and our belief structures were aligned. And it wasn't a big deal for me to go out and do that and give up time because I would be giving that time up regardless. What better way than, and I'm gonna tie this together, I have a feeling with what I'm about to say, But what better way than instead of me just doing my own thing and my clients doing their own thing, that we end up doing those things together?
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's not rocket science. You become deeper in terms of your connection to each other. You show that you care about the same things. And to be quite honest to everybody listening, it's one thing to put your professional hat on all the time and be in a sales capacity and drive revenue and business. It's another to create alignment between who you are as a person, what you give a damn about, and to really align that with how you show up in your working world. And when you get that alignment between who you are and what you do, life becomes a lot better because you're just there's integrity to who you are. And that really comes across in how you speak, you know, how you your sales pitch and how people experience you. And that only helps your business.
1: I agree a hundred percent. Yep. I think we've beat this thing to death at this point. So it's probably a good time for us to go ahead and start wrapping up. Before we do, I want to make sure that everybody out there knows we're serious about this. You will see it in our own messaging here at Florida Risk. We'll figure out what we're going to do from the podcast perspective because we certainly have a large enough audience that we can drive some major change. But it's going to start with a, a ground soldier piece, right? And so. One of the things I want you guys to do is I want you to book the We First podcast, okay? That's Simon's podcast. It's going to let you continue to get more information around this into your head. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to go check out his course and that's or lead with me. I'm sorry. Lead with me is
2: lead with we course.com lead with we course.com and the podcast is lead with we and it's on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And what you're going to hear in that podcast is companies just like yours explaining how they apply this to their business and how it's delivering our ROI to their bottom line. So Lead With We is the podcast and then um, leadwithwecourse.com. And also, you know, people have any questions that they're struggling with when they hear this. You know, you can always about interested in the consulting side, you can reach me at Simon at I'm happy to answer any questions, Simon at WeFirstBranding. And obviously, the book is on Amazon, Lead with We. But, um, you know, if I would give any caution to anyone in a sales capacity in the insurance industry moving forward, it's don't apply an outdated mindset to a new marketplace opportunity. And Lead With We is all about serving your bottom line, but doing it in a way that's going to have a positive impact because that's what the world is looking for. That's what your customers, your employees, investors, partners are looking for. So, and it, and if, you, if you'd like to know, hear it from other people's voices, do listen to Lead With We, the podcast, because you'll hear it from everyone from the CEO of, you know, major corporations through to startups.
3: So
1: people, here's how we're going to wrap up for the first 12 people that reach out to me. Listen very carefully because some of y'all don't get books because you don't follow directions. David at killingcommercial.com. David at killingcommercial.com subject line, lead with we, and I will send you a free copy of Simon's book, please for the love, make sure that you give me your name and your address. (laughs) I can't tell you the number of people who send me an email with the subject line and nowhere to send the book. And I've got to go back and ask them. So please help me out, people. I'm trying to get good information into your hands. I just need you to do not even half the work. Just give me like 25% effort. Lead with we in the subject line. Name and address. David at killingcommercial.com. Simon, awesome podcast, man. Great subject matter. Thank you, you know I'll, and I'll you, be honest Paul. with you I really don't very often go and respond when I have people reach out specifically from outside the industry to have them come on the podcast we've done that more over the last year because I think that bringing outside perspectives in is healthy for all of us and it you know look the insurance industry is stale at its core it's it's the last industry or one of the last to ever adopt technology, to ever change. It's like trying to make a cruise boat do a 180 on a dime. It's just not going to happen, right? And so thank you for bringing your perspective. Thank you for sharing the story. I mean, you got my attention with that, and I'm sure a lot of other people. So we really appreciate you taking time out to spend with us today, my man. And we look forward to sharing this with our audience. And people, again, I'm giving the first 12 that email me a copy of Simon's book. Make sure you're there.
2: All right. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, David. Thank you to everyone listening. Much appreciated.
1: Absolutely. Everybody, we'll catch you next time. See ya.
2: You've been listening to
0: the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, level. check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.